North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Here, Gary. Good morning. How's, how's things? Very good, thanks. Yeah. yeah. No, things are ticking along. Yep. Uh, you've been very busy lately, so um, yeah. Good to be able to catch you and get you on the podcast and, and do another one today. Yeah, yeah, no, it's something that's a bit of a priority to try and fit it in along the way because, yeah. yeah, really enjoying them and, uh, yeah, looking forward to today's chat. Well, we do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Just for those that are listening, um, we do pre-record, so someday we'll say something about the weather's great and the weather's horrible the day you listen and the podcast comes out. So forgive us for that, but we do pre-record our podcasts, so we have them coming out every week. But today we've got a good man. We called our podcast North Otago Legends Up and Comers in a Bit of History, and we've slowly been working our way up the valley. We've had some people from Enfield on the podcast and further afield, but today we have someone all the way from Amarima. Would you like to introduce him for us, Gary? I'd be very pleased to. It's, it's someone who's uh, you know long been associated with Amarima and um, had, had a, a great history there, both in business and also uh, working in the community. So, yeah, really great to be able to welcome Lindsay Purvis. Well, thanks very much, Gary, and thanks, Damien, for inviting me along here today. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks for making the time coming down the valley. Was a good drive down today? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, not much in the way of road works, so um, it was good driving. About <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> how many potholes were there? <laughs> there needs to be a few, a bit more in the way of road works up that way, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's, there's a lot of work to do up there, right? There's no doubt about that. We got pretty well, pretty badly hit with that flooding. and Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few people got smashed with it a bit, but um, no, working through it, so... You found a Marima, the community pulled together during the flooding, and um, um, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I think it was it's it was been particularly hard the air in Otamatara, You know, just being hit, you know, week after week for several weeks, for up to five weeks, um, different events. Yeah. So yeah, there's been there's, there's certainly a lot of damage um, that you know both of council infrastructure, but also homes, uh, some homes flooded and so on, damage to properties. Yeah, it's been a hell of winter, really, with um. We've had snows and flooding and COVIDs and flus and all sorts. It's been <laughs> bloody awful. But, yeah, uh, yeah. What and, did the Queen um, call it? Anna's Horribles? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I think we've probably had a couple of years of that. But, um, you know, having said that, Amaram is uh, generally ticking along. Tourism's coming back and so forth. But we better go back to the start, really, hadn't we, Damien? Yeah. So, so Lindsay, just, are you a North Otago man born and bred, or where were you born, and how did you come to live in Amarima? I was born up in Nomaru Hospital, up on the hill. Yep. And, um, yeah, so I lived in, in uh, North Otago all my life. Uh, Mum and Dad farmed at Wainakarua. And um, so we had a, a great upbringing down there. Um, the farms down there were... Uh, the farm they were on was a, a rehab block that was uh, mum and dad valeted for after the war and uh, got. So there was um, right from the uh, Hamden um, settlement right through to the uh, north branch of the Wainaka River. The uh, river used to be all um, a Meraki settlement, uh, Stodone property. So it was divided up um, after the war into 14 different properties. 
and um, we were brought up on that. So all the return servicemen um, went there about the same time. So they all all started farming and having families about the same time. So I was brought up in a community down there with uh, 12 boys all with about um, four years of each other in age. And you can imagine the chaos and the, the havoc that was wreaked around there, but it was yeah. it was great. It was a great place to... It would have been a good community to grow up in. And, yeah. It was a very strong community in yeah. those days. Um, you yeah, all we, went to... School together? Yep, Wainakura yeah. School, right. went to Wainakura Primary and then jumped on the bus and went to Waitaki and Waitaki Boys, yeah. So, uh, What was the population of Wainakura School then, do you remember? Um, 12, 14, we got up to 21 part of it, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that yeah. was up to Form 1 and Form 2? Yep. 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 Yeah, so. yeah, and that school closed, what was it, 90s? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. could even be late 80s perhaps, but... Uh, yeah, I think it's just used as a home now. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I went there and then eventually when we moved back there and had our own children, I was chairman of the school committee in those days and that was in the transition into tomorrow's schools at that time. Oh, so. wow. Yeah, so... Um, so you grew up, you went to Waitaki Boys. Mm-hmm. What were your interests at Waitaki Boys? So um, I know you're a businessman. Does so study come easy to you or...? No, not a great study. <laughs> more interested in rugby and yep. beer and girls. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not so, necessarily in that order. Yeah. <laughs> so you played, played a bit of rugby? Played for Mahino, yeah. yeah. Started when I was about five. Um, Huey Muldrew, um, uh, the mm-hmm. butcher fellow, you remember Huey he, from Hamden, yeah. used to pick us up in his butcher truck at the main road at the Wynat Garage and we'd all, and Huey was always running late, so get changed on the back, boys, we're running late, so <laughs> all these young <laughs> skidding around the back of a truck, getting changed and... Well, was that Saturday mornings coming yeah. into town? Oh, it'd be so, cold on the back of the truck coming into town. Oh, you know, I didn't notice it then, you're young, yeah. so... Uh, into St Kevin's and play rugby there and then mm. fish and chips and bottle of fizz on the way home. It was great. Mm. Yeah. Terrific. And you played for Waitaki Boys when you got there? Or no, or no, stayed, stayed, for... stayed with Mahino. Yeah. yeah. So played for Mahino for, oh, I don't know how old it was when I finally gave up, but we had a short break away when we were, um, Bev and I were a married couple in a place in South Canterbury. Um, in those days, if you wanted to get a, um, a rural bank loan, you had to have done so actual work, although I was brought up on a farm, I had to have done some work actual work on a farm because I did an apprenticeship in Omaru as a plumber for Kippenburgers oh. and um, after school. So then, yeah, we decided we wanted to go farming again. So we did this apprenticeship up in uh, South Canterbury, worked for Don and Di McFarlane up there. Uh, and the farm was not far from where the Clandy Boy Cheese Factory is now, um, Milk Factory now. It was a wee cheese factory in those days. Yep. So uh, we worked there for six years, I think it was. Yeah, and then we got the opportunity to buy the neighbour to mum and dad's which is effectively the Bluff Hill down at um, Wainak. So we bought that and uh, went in there in 79, full of um, hopes and aspirations and bugger all money and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and farmed through the 80s. It uh, was pretty tough going. Pretty, well, it was. Yeah, really, really tough. That, yeah, very, very tough for a lot of farmers. You know, high interest rates, loss of uh, SMPs, um, yeah. yeah, having to change how you farmed and so on. So, yeah, and, difficult time. Yeah, it was. And to be fair, those properties... When they were split up, they were split up into what was deemed to be an economic unit in those days. But reality is, when the next generation I us come along, um, they were too small, yeah. and um, so it was either get bigger or get out. Really, so yeah, by um, we went through a stage where we had no equity and we worked off farm. I worked at Bakuri and um, played in a band on Saturday nights, and um, Bev worked at the Mill House housemaiding and poured booze down at the Hamden pub on the weekends and. Mum looked after the kids, and that's how we survived. We got through oh, it. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, I went through a stage I had nil equity and I had a, a wife and three wee kids and I knew that if the bank foreclosed on me, I had nothing to go to and a horrible feeling. And I and um, I went through a sort of a um, form of depression, really, at that stage and I just physically couldn't make myself go out to the mailbox, pick up the mail because I knew there was something there that I couldn't handle, couldn't deal with. But uh, looking back on it now, I used the Lions Club as a vehicle to get me through that, and we um, and I became very involved with that. And um, we had a great Lions Club at Wainakarua, and full of farmers that were all going through the same thing. Some of us younger ones were doing it tougher than the older guys, of course, but uh, they were very supportive of us young blokes, and, yeah, it was yeah. It's good to have that contact with them. So, um, yeah, so land prices started to lift in the 90s, and... I scored a job, um, got sick of the freezing works and scored a job down at the Maraki Boulders restaurant as assistant manager and um, discovered that I quite liked working with tourism and mm. and one of the other um, one of my other jobs down there was doing the banking and I quite liked doing the banking every every day or every second day. Started to understand what cash flow was all about and just how important that is. So that's how you got into tourism and that is just Really by chance, like just as a downturn in farming. Um, yeah, with the help of a very good friend of mine, Huey Muldrew, when he was alive. Yeah. Uh, Huey, after he finished taking us to, to um, footy on the back of the truck, uh, was a very good friend of mine and um, he uh, he actually got me the job at the Boulders and, um, yeah, and, and then we went on from there really. Was mm. he, he he built the Boulders? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, the Boulders restaurant. Yeah. yeah, he battled away and finally got it done and built it and, yeah. And had it had it up and running, and um, so Knight Hahu bought it off him. And at that stage, they wanted an assistant manager. So um, yeah, I got uh, through Huey. I got the job, and um, mm. we were there for eighteen months before we moved out. So we started looking when our land prices came up. We realised we had some quite good equity. So we started looking around for something that we um, wanted to do. So sat down with a piece of paper, more or less, and and uh, worked out our strengths and weaknesses. And and between the two of us, Bev and I. And, um, yeah, our, our strengths were that we had a, a good marriage. We worked well together. Another one of our strengths was that we both liked working with people and, yep. and got on well with people and found it easy to, to, to do that side of it. Um, our weakness was our, our indebted farm. So it was either get bigger or get out. So we started looking around for a people-orientated business. And um, another very good friend of mine, Rex Allen, ex-mayor, mm-hmm. he uh, found us a, um, this business in Namarama. So we went up and had a look and... Yeah, the rest is history. So we had that for 24 years, that business. Well, there would have been a big move, though, moving from one community that was very tight-knit that you grew up with and you knew every person and that, moving to somewhere where um, you had to start again, so to speak? Or? Um, it wasn't It wasn't the moving the communities I found the hardest. It was transitioning out of farming into, into something different, like yeah. moving inside, working inside and so on. And I found that very hard. And if you ask uh, my wife, she'll tell her, it took me 12 to 18 months to settle down yeah. and, and I was still wanting to buy a farm and buying the Saturday press and looking at farms for sale and so on and it did take quite a while. Yeah. But then got it out of your blood, I got it out, out of the system. system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, just, just harking back to that sale, so, you know, you'd gone through the 80s and your land wasn't worth much because you couldn't make much of it and so on. Um, can you tell us, you know, how much per acre did it end up selling for when you did sell it? Because obviously the prices have changed from then. But um, no, I can't tell you. No, I can't remember right. those days. No. That's a while ago. Quite okay. It was, um, yeah, it's, you know, things have changed so much and particularly where you've got irrigated land, of course, it's, it's that much worth that much more as well. But, mm. yeah, still still rabbit problems down there, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. When you uh, when you bought your farm, were your parents still on the farm next door? Yep. Yep. So that yeah. would have been good. Yeah. No, we worked we we worked in conjunction with yep. mum and dad and bit of babysitting. And, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was quite good in that that regard. And, and dad and I worked together um, on the the two properties together um, quite a while. And, and I look back on that now and I enjoyed that. It was, uh, yeah, no, look, sometimes you can't always realise all your dreams all the time, so you have to make those life changes. Yep. And, um, yeah, that sort of leads me into where I'm, the job I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So you're in, uh, you moved in, wait, 1990 something? 93. 93, mm. yeah. And how big, how old were your family then? Um, the two oldest girls were at high school and the youngest one, she was a primary. Right. So, um, yeah, we had to tell the two oldest ones that they were now going to be boarders at Waitaki Girls. And uh, we won't go into all the problems we had with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, sneaking into the hostel and, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, Dad wasn't very popular for a while, I can tell you. Mm. Um, but the youngest one was a great adventure for her. She was going to another school and, yeah, yeah she was – and she, she transitioned into that very well. And it wasn't until just not that long ago, really, that my oldest girl said – we can see now what you're doing, Dad, because yeah. they're in business on their own in Brisbane, her and her husband. So oh, wow. Yeah. She said, well, now we can see what you're doing, Dad, and that, but it took them a long time to understand yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let it go a little bit. That's good. Yeah. 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 So yeah. let's talk a wee bit about the business that you – you got it up and running. It was already established business, but you put a lot of heart and soul and time and elbow grease into that business, you and your wife, didn't you? Yeah, we took it over in 93 and it was a leased property. Um, off the Rays, um, John and Isabel Ray, and they were they were running it. But John, unfortunately, was just had um, ill health. Can you just let us know what kind of business it was, so people on the podcast? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. yeah, it was yeah. Um, it was tourist retail and cafe. Yeah. So when we took it over, it had a little fifty seat cafe out the back, and and um, tourist retail on the front, selling touristy things, but also quite a lot of um, clothing, etc. So um, yeah, we took it over as a lease, and then. Um, um, well, I think about 18 months after we were in there, Isabel indicated she wanted to sell the building. Mm. So we bought that. And then um, uh, John Rush owned a big piece of land right beside it and he wanted to sell that. So we bought that back into debt again, like the old farming days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so we, we sat on that piece of land for quite some time and we got our, um, got our equity up, got some money behind us. Um, but we were really lucky with the with the tourism. We struck um, a really good time with um, Taiwanese were big in those days. They were coming busload after busload, mm. and I could see that we had to increase the level of stock in the in the place, and and we did that, and we increased the um, the level of service in the cafe, and put on more staff, and and we started getting buses coming there for lunch, and that was the start of it all sort of rolling through. So we had. There were morning tea buses, then we had lunch buses, and then afternoon tea buses, and they were so. Um, and they all did a bit of shopping at the same time. So it actually we we struck it really good, and tourism was on and up in those days. So, yeah. yeah, it was always been a bit of a challenge, you know, because a lot of tra- uh, tourist traffic going through Amarama, not not enough staying, but um, businesses like yours were able to at least benefit from that. Um, and yeah, the business did grow very well. Yeah, it did. It did pretty well. And then in the year 2000, we made a Millennium Project and we uh, knocked the wall down and moved out into the piece of ground we had beside there and um, doubled the size of the shop and, and the cafe. And we had a 120-seat um, cafe, which could effectively 
we were always tight for room when we had two or three buses coming. It was a jiggling match. I don't know how the hell we did it, but we yeah. did. So we were able to seat uh, more people at once then, and that was so upgraded our, our kitchen and um, the staff, and yeah. we were able to put more stock in the front shop. So it was sort of two businesses under the one roof, effectively. Yeah. Employing quite a few locals? Yeah, we had um, um, eight staff. So I think we got up to ten staff at one part of it. Yeah. Yeah, so mostly all locals, yeah. Yeah, so good holiday jobs for the kids. Yeah, we did. We had holiday times. We had um, um, school kids come and worked in the cafe for us through that busy time. Um, yeah, so it was good holiday jobs for them. So, in the last thirty years, what are the big changes you've seen in the Maramo? I remember when I was an apprentice, uh, we built the Caltex garage there, right across from the shop. That's probably the first time I met you, and then um, for De Geese, and then we did a wee bit of work on the other one, but. I uh, wasn't up so much. But, yeah, it's sort of changed. Two big petrol stations that were good shops and cafes up there now. What else is happening in Amerima that's taken off? Yeah, well, all, virtually all the buildings have um, have been renovated over on that yeah. side of the road. And the one that – and then and, and ours was renovated too in 2000. The one that sort of sat and was the was the pub. And it's mm. in, in the throes of being done now. In fact, the pouring concrete on the floor today as we left the big concrete pub there. So, so um, yeah, it's going ahead really quickly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a um, fellow called Dave Ellis has got that now, so he'll do a really good job of that. He's known for doing things right. So yeah. we're yeah. looking forward to um, having that all up and running again. So. Yeah. yeah, no, he's yeah got does have a very good reputation. Looking forward to seeing the, the improvements there. It's, it's, yeah, it's fantastic to exciting. see these things happen. Mm, mm, so so that's that's the biggest thing that's happening. But um, I've got to say COVID has had a huge effect on the Marima. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're just going through some old papers and things the other day and started to realise the amount of wages that's gone out of Amerima with, with COVID. Um, and, you know, I estimate conservatively there's probably half a million dollars a year in wages has gone from Amerima through businesses wow, shutting down for COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but tourism's coming back and things are starting to lift again. Have you noticed that yourself? Yep. yep. Yeah, we have. And it's it's ne- it's not going to happen overnight, no. but it is going to slowly happen and it'll, it will take hold again, perhaps never to the extent it was. I can remember when we took over in 93, our business, the um, Tourism Board had a target of 2 million visitors to New Zealand. When we sold um, 24 years later, there was um, almost 4 million coming. Yeah. And New Zealand's infrastructure was struggling to deal with that. And I sort of got the feeling that we were almost had overdone it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so whether it comes back to that or not, I don't know, but it won't be straight away. But it is happening. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, one of the, the ideal um, results really is that we have, we don't have that many, but they do spend longer, they spend more, they, they learn more about the country and so on. You know, just better quality overall. Yep. And, yeah. and we're getting that with Alpsta Ocean. You would have ha- felt some benefit from that. Oh, uh, huge. Yeah. Huge. Um, it didn't really take we, – we'd sort of gone out of our business um, before it really took off, but over the last two or three years, it's really gained some traction. And um, I noticed that the pub there, they just um, flat out every night doing meals. The um, uh, Sierra Motels have expanded. They've now got, I think – 27 units there, is that right, yeah, something, something like that? Like that yeah. um, and that's just through, strictly through Alps to Ocean. A few years ago, I just imagine, like the pub used to be, you know, the old Hilux parked outside, a few dogs on the back and the boys in there and their bush shirts. 
Nowadays, it's lycra wearing guys and their <laughs> e-bikes and everything. Things, things change. Well, uh. There's photos on the wall of aeroplanes parked in front of that mud. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. They used to land them on the road there once upon a time. I yeah. assume being a, a local there, not, but I'm assuming you've had a beer with Richie McCorran at the pub a few times. He's he's been known to pop in the odd time. Or? Yeah, used to. They've they've um, sold their house in Amarima now. Are they? Um, yeah, and he's got other interests. Um, I haven't seen him in Amarima for some time, but there was a period there when yeah, uh, he'd just pop in. Eh? Yeah, he was about. Yep, I think we had a New Year's Eve with him in there once. One one part of it, so. Yeah, but being on on the road, being on that crossroads uh, where Amarima is, you know, you, you'd see quite a few. Uh, famous people passing through, wouldn't you? Yeah, I suppose it was, you know, <laughs> define famous. Yeah, well, <laughs> you recognise them. Yeah, I think that, yeah. that's all you need in New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 yeah, that's enough. But, uh, yeah, no, good but stuff. But you've got, you know, we do have the gliders there, which bring a lot of people in internationally as well, and mm-hmm. then you've got things like the hot tubs there. Do you <laughs> make yourself uh, available to them every now and again, the hot tubs? Or? Oh, well, I've got one of my own at home. So oh, I don't yeah, you don't need it. <laughs> there we go. But uh, yeah, no, the gliding does does bring a lot into town, and yeah. um, see a lot of people, a lot of gliding people coming into the pub and moving around, and they they go to the to the Wrinkly Ram for cafe and and the Isis cafe, and um, they go to the shop and they buy groceries yeah. and things. So yeah, no, they do. Yeah. It, is, it is good, and it's, it must be about due to kick off again very shortly. Yeah, how the, much of a Merrimer mm-hmm. would you say is holiday homes, and how much is permanent? Um, oh. It's about 350 permanents there, I think. Um, it swells to, somebody told me, about 2,500 in the in those summer, that not months, ground. those summertime yeah. sort of Christmas, New Year. But that takes into the camping ground and all those people as well. So yeah. it certainly does. Um, but no, I couldn't answer that, how many of oh, the no. percentages there. But, no, just um, one, but that 350 is a tight community. Everyone knows everyone and everyone helps everyone. It was interesting when we had our our forum just um, about three weeks ago that Gary came up to, um, the in the hall there was about um, 180 to 200 people attended that, um, and and that was a pretty good muster uh, for a town of that size, and a lot of them were holiday homeowners that made the effort to come up for the weekend. Um, yep, and to to yeah. go to that forum, so it was was good. I recognised uh, a few from Amaru, but there was also, I think as far away as Mosgiel, uh, property owners that went to that meeting. Mm, it was yeah. important. Probably yeah. should talk about that. But, you yeah. know, in the context of, um, you know, looking after communities. Well, I found uh, through no fault of my own, I found myself um, chairman of the residents <laughs> of a Society of Amara, Association of Amarama. I got bullied into that. So, um, yeah, we... we um, there was some concerns uh, in 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 uh, Amarima about the um, the callouts from St John's. Um, uh, now, where do I start? There's there's a, a memorandum of understanding between St John's and Fens um, about the about the callout for the first response in Amarima. And first response was set up there. Um, um, can't remember when it was. It was quite some time ago. But anyway, through um, Fundraising and some good efforts from Meridian so on. They're very, very well um, prepared. They've got two four-wheel drive vehicles with all the toys and all the goodies in them. Um, we've got some very well-trained staff there, and um, they're our first response team. And they go to a lot of car accidents and things. But um, St John's has a um, their uh, dispatchers have a, a, a colour code thing. So there's there's um, 
green and orange as non-life-threatening and purple and red as life-threatening. So St John's has a policy not to call out first responses for green and orange, but only for life-threatening, which is um, the purple and red. Um, so in 2017, our first response negotiated with St John's to get a um, uh, an enhanced trial for our MOU, whereby we would get called to all calls. And that worked very well for a while and was very successful. Um, and then about 18 months ago, it started to drop off and we got reports from locals who um, had been in trouble and had been waiting for this um, alarm to go off, siren to go off, and for the first response to turn up and it didn't happen. And they waited quite some time for an ambulance to arrive. And so we got a few complaints about that. So we lobbied with St John's to get it reinstated and didn't have a lot of luck. So I thought, right, I will take a different tack. So we put together a, uh, a public forum and we used the Residents Association as a vehicle to do that because we're detached from Fens and from St John's. So um, we did that and it was very well supported. Um, I think St John's and Fens got quite a surprise what the, um, what the support was and what the feeling of the community was. So they went away from there and um, I got an email from them signed by both parties um, to continue the enhanced, but it said to continue the trial of the enhancing. Um, we weren't very happy with that. Well, we were happy with that, but we want a more a permanent thing. And the amount of people that were there from the community gave us a clear mandate, we thought. That's what they wanted as well. To carry on yeah. that they wanted as well. We also, in our... Um, snooping around found that there was about there's a lot of the small rural communities that have first responses that want the same thing and it's about it's about small rural communities wanting wanting that because ambulances are so far away and take so long so first response they can go and they can they can um, offer pain relief and they can also but just give people support until yeah until that so yeah. that's that's where we're so we're still lobbying with that one because there was yeah representatives from um, the equivalents <coughs> and and Rakaia and I think down South Otago or yeah, um, Southland yeah was it the West when we came from yeah yeah so it was really um, yeah showed what the importance was but yeah I think it's that difficulty of making sure resources are available for emergencies but equally understanding that a lot of people when they phone up they downplay their what's what's actually wrong with them they yes. don't want to be a make a fuss and. Um, you know, so the message I think from the community was, uh, and from the volunteers themselves, was we'd rather turn out to things where we're not needed than not turn out yeah. um, and, and might be needed. Yeah. So, yeah. So where is the nearest ambulance? Twizel? Um Yeah, I think it was one Twizel. Twizel and yeah. Kurao. But and if the Twizel one was busy up in Tekapo somewhere or Mount Cook, you could be left there for hours without an ambulance. Is that yeah, we the reality a, of it? Yeah, we had a letter from a young girl there that um, injured her knee badly and she was four hours waiting. I think she did four hours waiting for an and ambulance. pain with yeah. no one there. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, um, it, it's it's um, it's sort of, I don't I don't understand. There's obviously some politics involved in there that um, <laughs> I don't know about, but um, it's just so simple that it, I just can't understand it because we're offering them a service, we're not charging them for it or anything, and, and wasn't that many... Weeks ago, that the um, St John, I'm not bagging them because they do a really, really good yeah. service. But it wasn't that long ago they were on tally talking about short staff. They're understaffed, underpumped, underfunded, mm. and um, you know they. So we're offering them a, a service that can, that, that can help, and I just I don't I don't understand the pushback. 
Yeah, and I think particularly when it's if it's a call out, it's ten minutes away. Look, you can go there, can give the person some um, pain relief and so forth. At least get them set up for the ambulance to to eventually get there. Yeah. Uh, but be able to be called away to if something was more urgent that they needed to be at. So yeah, it is about them trying to, to find the the pragmatic compromise really to make sure that people are looked after, that that things aren't missed, people don't fall through the gaps. Yeah, yeah, that's. Basically, what it is. So we're we're um, plugging away with that one at the moment. So, well, if anyone on the podcast has any weight to lend to that, we'd appreciate it. You can yeah, we would. get hold of Lindsay Purvis <laughs> up there, or, and just uh, your support will be good for that one as well. So, you know, this isn't the only way that you serve the community either, is it? Um, you know, you go back to the farming situation, going through the eighties and so on, learning about the, you know, the the stresses and anxiety and so on that can happen. Um, that led you to be involved with Rural Support Trust? Yeah, well, when we sold our um, business, um, I was approached by the Otago Rural Support Trust, um, would I be a, co- a coordinator? And um, so I, I thought about that for a while and then I went back to, as Gary said, my days in farming and, and what I'd been through and I thought, well, I had a pretty a good message there and I thought I was really well qualified, so yeah, I took the job on. So um, my mandate is, um, my job description is helping farming families in adverse conditions. So that covers a whole range of things. That covers everything from, we get involved in droughts and floods and and, um, all that. But we also, um, with personal, one-on-one with with families that are going through a tough time, whether it be depression or farm succession or just financial hardship, um, all, all, all sorts, of whatever. Um, sadly, suicides, um, death on farms by accident. We get involved in all of all of those things. If we're invited in, and um, so, uh, so my job is to to go and talk to the farming family, sit around the table, and have a cup of coffee with them, and find out what it is that's gone wrong for them, and then uh, do my best to um, connect them up with. Um, the right people that can help. So I prefer to call myself a connector rather than a coordinator, so we connect them up with what can help. So um, through that, I um, became involved in um, the management or, or, uh, management group in the Stronger Waitaki Initiative um, that Gary would be very familiar with, and that's been a great vehicle for me um, through there. I've got a lot of contacts um, with people that can help. Um, I've had the migrant support group um, all are helping me on occasion, um, I constantly ring um, Helen Elger and yeah. get advice and, and, and <laughs> get names of people that can help. Yeah, um, yeah no, it's, it's, it's really good. It's been great for me, yeah. So there's, there's a yeah, great day here connecting with the migrant um, support community because there's obviously a lot of migrants on farms and so on. They can be quite isolated. Yep. Um, yeah, a lot, quite isolated. And it's it's hard work, Um and chucking a bit of homesickness as well, and yeah, um, and and it's different cultures too. And it's quite sometimes, sometimes we don't grip those uh, cultures as well as well as we might. Mm. Um, yeah, of course, there's language barriers and all sorts of things come into it. But they're they're good, hardworking people. They contribute well to the industry. Where's your catchment area for that? <coughs> so, how far afield do you work? Right. Well, we 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 take a we cover the whole Otago area. Um, but my, my range is from um, here up the Waitaki Valley um, across to Wanaka, Kadrona, Queenstown, um, round through sort of Roxburgh, 
uh, Ranfurly, down the pig route, sort of what whack white. So, oh, so you have a really big area. Quite a big area, a lot of travel. So normally yeah. you hear something on, do you pop in, or do you normally wait till you're invited, or you? No, always, always wait. We're invited. Yeah. yeah no, so well. someone reaches out to you and says, "Hey, we're just struggling. Um, we need a bit of help in this area," and then you're. Yep. If you're, somebody um, knows somebody that needs help, and yep. then oh, um, refer them. Yep. Refer. Yep. Um, ring the eight hundred number, or can ring me directly. The yep. number, and um, I'll make sure that they've already talked to that person about the possibility of us coming. Because if your cold calling doesn't work in a situation like this, yeah. so I just ask them to mention that it might be a good idea if they're involved or we're involved or whatever, and then we um, we go from there. Mm. So I just want to say, like um, before Gary got here, we were just having a wee chat. And you said, "Oh, why am I on the podcast?" Okay, <laughs> that this is it right here. Um, just your heart for helping, especially the rural community, and something you went through in the eighties, and a, a lot of people identify with that through a bout of depression, whether diagnosed or not wanting to get out of bed or, like you said, to the letterbox. So you're understanding your heart. Like it's, it's been, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, you've still got a passion to help people in our district and it goes further afield over to Wanaka and that. So that's why talking with people that just want to make a difference, they've used their life experience, they've used their skills and then they're trying to make a difference in other people. So, yeah, that's why we want you on the podcast today just to say thank you for what you're doing. I know there's there's untold farmers and out there and rural workers who just are very thankful for what you've done and the benefits and just connecting them to other people. And at some sometimes you've been the only one that's been that listening voice, or you've been the only one that's you know um, really helped out when they're in struggle. So thank you for being a legend in North Otago. We're going to carry on, but I just thought that's why just that there, what you do right there, helping our district. Yeah, it's fantastic. So we're really. Oh, thank yeah. you for giving me the opportunity to tell my story. Yeah, so, hmm. yeah no, it's, it's it's absolutely appreciated and just such an important part. I think um, you know Kiwi males are not always as open and um, when they're in trouble, and um, you know, and I'm sure you've come up across a lot of examples of that, and possibly some situations where things could have been avoided. And um, you know, is there is there anything that sort of stands out as you know, advice you can give or just circumstances that you've had to go through where, you know, if it had only been different, it you know, would have um, been good. Yeah, we, we uh, recently did some um, what we call, uh, loosely called them drought shouts, which is um, we put together a, um, an event on an evening and we were down in Lawrence and Awaka and then Clinton last year and we, it was dry down there. They had mm. a, And it was unusual for them and they didn't, they didn't understand it. They didn't get the concept of it. So we, we got down there and I didn't want – so I was asked to organise these things and I didn't want to bog them down with um, somebody talking about um, feed budgets and things. I wanted to give them some practical um, ideas on what they can do because this was all foreign to these guys. I mean, you talk to a North Otago cocky and they deal with droughts and things and they just – they know what to do and they understand. These blokes, this was the first time that they'd ever wow. experienced this. So uh, I thought about it and I thought, well, let's get somebody to give some practical tips. So I approached uh, Dave Ruddenclaw, who's um, a very uh, well-respected farmer in, in North Otago and has been through a lot of droughts and signs, been farming 50 years or more, and he agreed to, to come on board. So um, we took him down there and he did a very good delivery of just practical things that you can do to help you through this. Uh, and we had um, 
an accountant lady from Balclutha. Um, she came and talked about the hangover from droughts and and because we're in a drought year, you have a good year because you're selling your capital stock, etc. But it's the next year when you get lumbered because you get a hell of a tax bill, um, and you get and you're in the market buying your stock in the same as everybody else is. So price of stock goes up. So you have to um, be aware of those those financial implications. We had um, a guy from Silverfern Farms talking to us about killing space and the availability of it because we were dealing with COVID at the same time. Um, and then I gave them a little talk at the end of it about, um, you know, looking after themselves. And, and one of the main things that I expressed to them was staying connected and staying connected with your family yeah. and your community and your financiers and so on, but especially stay connected with your community. Because yeah. a lot of people, when they get into stress and pressure like that, they isolate at home and they think, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I'm under the pump, I've got to work harder. But don't work harder, work smarter. Yeah. And take take um, get involved in your community in a in a, um, a lions club or a footy club or something like that. And if there's office if there's office there, consider taking it on. You know, yeah. if there's a chance to be the, the the chair or the secretary or something, because yeah. it gets you more involved and you get yeah. you thinking about other things. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think that's one of the meanings of life: helping other people outside of your own issues. When you start giving back. Life sort of makes sense then, and it gives you a purpose and something else to focus on, yeah. other than looking at your own. Well, you're not feeling so alone, eh? Yeah, yeah. You, it's sharing what your problems are, but also knowing that actually other people are going through yeah. this too. We're in the process of the moment at the moment, and yesterday I spent quite a bit of work on it, um, putting together um, an evening uh, with Lance Boudet um, for um, the Kura irrigation um, shareholders going through a bit of a tough time it's with um, finances and things up there. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. So yeah. your idea was to get those guys in and just mm. give them a night out or give them a... No, we're going to... Do you know who Lance Boudet is? No. Okay. Gary, do you know... Yes. You do not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, he's a great speaker. Yeah, um, and he's got a very good message. Yeah. Um, I've heard Lance about four times now. Yeah. And um, he's an ex-police uh, negotiator. Quite often see him on TV in the mornings when they're talking about gang-related things with um, yeah. firearms and things and he... He, he talks there, but he does a very good – and he talks about your brain and what makes it work and what makes you sleep, what makes you wake and and, and how to um, offset those things. And um, you've heard him speak, Gary? Yeah. He's yeah. very, very good and dynamic. He gets around the stage and he really pumps it and yeah. he does, does a great job. You, you pay attention and it's really good advice. It sounds like one of the guys or the guys will listen to, especially his ex-job being a negotiator and things like that, people – well, the downside is he's an Aucklander. And, oh. <laughs> oh. Don't, don't tell him that till the yeah. end. <laughs> In spite of all this, he's... Anyway. So that's on. good. And see, that's what I like. You've seen a need where other people might not have, and you thought, right, there's a community here that's hurting at the moment. What can I do? And so that's fantastic. Thanks Well, it's that. a help. I yeah. mean, it, it, it's not going to fix their financial ways, but it's going to help them deal with it. Yeah. You know? And if you listen to what he, the message he's got, um, there is, and there's some, some very good life yeah. skill things there. You can use further out than that too. A lot of it's just having a plan. You know, if you can get to the stage where you can develop a plan as to how do you, how do you go from where you are to move forward, it might might take a long time, but mm. that gives a lot of um, yeah, just just uh, gives greater resilience to people then. And that's 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 a great word, resilience. Mm. So you you have to have it, yeah. especially farming. It's it's tough. Yeah, it is tough. It is mm. tough, and it's getting tougher with regulations and things and. You know, it's um, the thing I've noticed is the younger guys they they're picking up on that a lot better. It's the older blokes, it's the the ones that have been farming a long time. They're really struggling with all the new compliance and so on that they're having to go through. 
it's probably not just farming either, to be fair. I know, like, in building and that and all, young guys who know how to use an iPad and talk to the engineer and the, and the building inspectors and the older ones are like, we never used to do that in my day. It's sort of, yeah, not mm. moving with what's happening. So Yeah, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's across all. Yeah. You must spend a lot of time on the phone. I do. I spend a lot of time on the phone, quite a bit on the road too. Yeah. So. But I find travelling on the road when I'm going to and from jobs is, is good thinking time. And if you've got reception, it's good phone time. Mm. You can start getting things organised. You come away from a place and you sort of you know what you need, so you can start on the phone then trying to ring people and get things moving. And that's it's quite important to move things quickly yeah. and so that people see that you are doing something. So the hardest part is going to see these people and having some tools in your toolbox. Yeah. So yeah, keeps you keeps you busy, keeps you out of the your wife's way. So Absolutely, you don't get sick of each other. <laughs> also, just another one: all, tra- all that traveling, good time to listen to podcasts. I yeah. like North Otago Legends, so we could show you how to get that on your Spotify account, and then you can listen to all the podcasts that have gone before you there, Lindsay. And Sounds good. Don't yeah, you? yeah, and ones that come after. Um, sometimes Gary's voice can put you to sleep, but you yeah. know you just got to. I'll pull over. I like to be soothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. soothing. No. Hey, um, I know you've been involved. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was you, dog barking competitions in Kurea, and that was just getting the community together to have yep. a voice and things like that. So what do you do there? Um, just uh, yeah, getting uh, getting the uh, um, getting the public on board and just getting an event there to, uh, yeah, just to get the cockies together. Having yep. a bark yeah. up. Having a bark up, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was always have a message, or is it just a social? Mostly just a social. Those yeah. things there, but you do, you can put a message in with if you think it's required. Yeah, but it, it's <laughs> it's. I mean, yeah, it's just, just giving people a common purpose, you know, a chance to get together, socialise, actually have a real bit of fun because mm. you <laughs> get all those dogs going, and it's uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good loud. night out. It's a good night out. Um, I was invited to speak to the uh, Kura Young Farmers once. I, I went down there and sat through their, their meeting, which was a hard case sort of meeting, but they were very informal. They all had a beer and, and a feed and so on. And uh, and that was all good. And then so it was my turn to give my little spiel, so I told them all about rural support and what we do and how we help people, etc. And I said, Are there any questions? And there was a young girl there, about 18, I must be a girl, and she said, oh, she said, if I was feeling depressed and rang for rural support, would they send somebody younger than you? That really took the wind out of my sails. I had to think of my feet for a second. I said, Well, no, for two reasons. I said, One is we don't have anybody younger, and the other one is to be able to do this job effectively, you have to have graduated from the University of Life. Yeah. I think that's quite important. (laughs) (laughs) So I got away with that one. Yeah, younger or less experienced. Yeah. Yeah. So, what else have you been, you've done a lot, but. uh, You've, you've, we, did you get on the Board of Trustees at Amarama School? You know, were you involved in other activities around uh, Amarama? Um, no, well, we were, when we were there for the 24 years in our business, we were concentrating on that, really. So yeah. I, uh, apart from being on a little um, committee some time ago about a water upgrade we did there, um, I, I sort of avoided getting involved in those sorts of things because I was concentrating on the business. But as I say, four years ago or five years ago um, when we sold it, um, yeah, it was time to start getting involved in a few community things, and, and I've really enjoyed it. I, uh, and I enjoy being um, the chair of the resident association. It's um, it's challenging at times, but it's good to see things, to help see things move for the community. Mm. And 
like Amerima's home, you wouldn't move back down um, to Wainak or down that way again, or Amerima's it now? You yeah, think? funny, we were just, Bev and I were just talking about that in the car coming down, Look actually. Look that, see, I knew. Yeah, so yeah. no, no, Amerima's home. Yeah. It took me, as I said, it took me 18 months or even two years before we, um, going back to Amerima and went through the cutting at Chain Hills there, and you started to feel, suddenly feel like you're going home. Yeah. It took quite a while for that to happen, Yeah, you know, it, and... But, uh, yeah, no, definitely it's home now. I'll stay there as long as I can, but um, yeah. we've got quite a big property, so maybe that'll get too big for us one day, I don't know. Subdivide it off, give the yeah, children a section each, yeah. and then you ain't love it. <laughs> It'll be, uh, yeah, it's probably a good hour and a half, two hours on the, the, the right, uh, right on mower each weekend. <laughs> I, I bought the biggest mower I could afford, Gary, <laughs> right. so it didn't take that long. Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, yeah. our grandchildren are in... Uh, um, we've got one in Rangiora and two in Christchurch and two in Brisbane. So, um, yeah, we, we're on the road a wee bit up and down to them. Yeah. And um, we're heading over to Brisbane in the end of October yeah. to catch up with them over there. Right. So it's been but, two years since we've seen them, or three years yeah. since we've seen them. So really looking forward to that. So what do you do to relax up there? Like the fishing's good, the hunting's good. What Are you, are you into anything like that? You relax, you go gliding yourself? Have you tried it? Or? No, no, I, no. no, I like terra firma. I don't, yeah. <laughs> don't like up there much. Uh, I've um, done a bit of fishing in my time. I've done trips to Australia and saltwater fly fishing and done a fly fishing over there at yeah. that time. And, um, yeah, Ginger Anderson and I do a lot of um, hunting or did a lot of hunting at Yep. The hills have suddenly got a bit steeper and a bit higher now. What's yeah, it's funny. Something's happened. <laughs> yeah. Damien was saying about that the other day yeah. to me, actually. He's fine. all that rain, I think. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's probably good. You probably know all the high country farmers and you can probably get into all the places I can't get to. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, yeah. Um, yeah, I do know them all up there. And, yeah. Um, yeah, they're all a good well, bunch of guys. Put a good word in for us, would you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do. I have to. Is probably the most important question I've asked you all year. Have you had your first feed of whitebait yet? Yes. Yes, who dropped that off? Was it West Coast whitebait? Uh, yes, it yes. was. And, and uh, who was your supplier? Um, the Because <laughs> I just I can't know give too much away. You don't know. give too yeah, much, no. but I know that there used to be a few people dropping in with a wee kilo or two or, or more to the shop when you were there. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I'm actually part owner of a stand on the South ah. Bank of the Harst, so... Ah. Um, yeah. So when's the last time you've been over there? Oh, last year. I haven't been okay. this year yet. You haven't been? You're going no. over? Oh, yeah, hopefully, yeah. yeah. So it, um, it's rained since the, since the start. Is it? Yeah. yeah. So, and they're short in the season, so you better get over there soon. Yeah. yeah. What's the house fishing like at the moment? Um, yeah, I don't think – I haven't been in touch with – we've got a, one of our mates is over there and he set it all up. But, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I haven't been in touch with him, but it's it's. I'd imagine it's been a bit um, washed bit out a bit. Yeah, yeah. A bit messy with the fl- – uh, the rain and so on. Harst has got a huge catchment area. It goes yeah. right up to Mount Cook catchment area. I'm the Lansborough. Yeah. So it does get pretty angry, that river. Yeah. Are you still in line to eventually inherit a, a share of a stand somewhere, No, that, that dream's died a few oh. years ago, yeah. But I've had a few years over there on the coast white baiting, and, mm. and man, it's you cannot beat it. I didn't understand why people white bait it, you know, until I went over there and no phone, no stress, and you're just watching these little white things swim into your net and, and it, all the cares and worries of the world just drift away and you're in paradise and, mm. yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, well, your, your mum and dad used to always call into our shop yeah, they would always coming call and going yeah. over to the coast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Russell well. Yeah. Yeah, well, he hasn't been over for a few years now, so, yeah. Mm. 
Mm. So we have to get him a feed from the Kakanoi or the Waitaki. Have you baited either of those? No, I haven't. No, no, no we prefer to travel away over there yeah. and catch less white bait. They get more over this side, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they have been lately. And no, and if you're going with just the guys, it's a bit of misbehaving and beer drinking too, I imagine. Some of them do. Yeah, <laughs> some of them. He's not putting his hand up he's, for that one, Gary. Oh, he's yeah. a very responsible person. Yeah, and yeah, I can yeah. see he's, he's yeah, the yeah. one that has to keep a bit of decorum. Yeah. 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 I can yeah, tell yeah, you yeah. some stories about uh, Steve Easton and Stewie Webb and John on Underhall and those guys if you want to hear them. Um, I probably yeah. know them, actually, yeah. Amy. You know, you probably know all the stories already. I might yeah. have been there. Yeah. <laughs> you might have too, actually. Oh, imagine how bad they would have been if yeah. you weren't there. Like, yeah, keep an eye on them. rugby trips and things, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Valensky boys. Yeah. You've been to their hut? Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. how do we get on the white baiting? Yeah. Oh, no, you're, yeah. Well, off the track. Yeah. Totally down that one. Yeah. yeah. So, anything else you're involved in in the community just you want to mention or shout um, out what's going on up there in Amarama? No, that's about all. Um, we are, we're coming to the end. We've got a, one of our um, residence meetings on this Wednesday, and we're coming to the end of the COVID care thing. Um, we're shutting it down. So, um, but there's some talk. Um, with um, Ruth Grundy and myself are talking about the idea of maybe extending that that out and not, no, sorry, different, totally different to the community COVID care into a sort of a community care thing. Um, one of the things that came that came quite clear, came out quite clear in the COVID thing is there are families in in Amarama and I'm sure other communities as well that that do need help and so on and and they tend to fall through the cracks a bit and we don't have sort of somewhere for them to go to to get advice and to get help. And so we're talking about, it's very much in the talking stages, we're talking about putting something together in a, in a type of community yeah. care thing. Um, we are going to go to Twizel and have a look at what they're doing there, and then we're going to um, get hold of the Stronger Waitaki to get help there, and we'll, yeah. we're yeah. going to involve that and see where we go with it. We've got a germ of an idea not sure how to put it together yet. Mm. So that's the next thing we're going to get involved in, I guess, yeah. yeah that'll be great. Mm. We're looking after the community, one person at a time. I love it. Very good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me, yeah. Damon and Gary. Yeah, no, yeah appreciate good to it. Chat. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's good Good to find out what's happening around the, the district and the people who are involved and just really appreciate that we have so many volunteers out there who absolutely help make sure our community is, is stay safe and um, mm. is looked after. So thank you for your job. Oh, Marum is a good little community yeah. and it um, has a very, very strong sense of uh, community strength there. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy living there. It's good. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, well done. Oh, thanks for coming on. Safe trip back up the, up the valley. Well, that was just very enlightening. Uh, it's good, Gary. I love um, I love the fact that he's just going and doing something. You know, he sees a need mm-hmm. and he's getting involved. And I didn't realise how far he travelled. Um, no, a slightly larger area than what I realised. Yeah, yeah, but North Otago, very, um, to have someone that, especially the farming community, have someone like Lindsay who just gets in there and makes a difference, I think yeah. that's good. We need people like that, so fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, our farmers are so isolated. You know, they, they, they work alone all day, you know, yeah. and... Uh, you know, so, so often, yeah. Um, and yeah, if they get into that space where they actually don't want to be around people, it's yeah. it, it becomes a bit of a hazard. So, having people who make sure that they do connect, that they actually are engaged and and you know are being looked after, is great. Yep. 
Um, I'll just shout it out there. So next time you see um, Lindsay at the Marama pub or the Kura pub or the Odomatata pub, shout him a beer and say, thanks very much, mate. Appreciate what you do. Am I allowed to say that online? No, I, I, th- I think maybe you could throw a few cafes or something in okay, there. Make just it sound like that. he spends his whole time at the pub. Okay, or at the Wrinkly Ram, shout him a, a flat white and say, thanks very much for what you do. Absolutely. All right, Gary, good, good catching up, and we'll talk to you next podcast. Cheers. All right.